Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Kevin Johal, who's a fourth-year resident at the University of Massachusetts in Worcester, Massachusetts. He's originally from El Sobrante, California. He went to college at the University of California, Los Angeles, and medical school at the University of Arizona. His academic interests include medical student and resident education, hand surgery, and aesthetics. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jenna. Glad to be here. So I'd love to get started with a broad overview of the structure of your program at UMass. So we are a six-year integrated plastic surgery program. We originally started out as a independent program decades ago, and then I want to say about 10 or so years ago, switched to the integrated model. We take two residents per year, a six years total, and traditionally have been more of a three and three model with the first three years being more general surgery focused and the second three years being more plastic surgery focused. But we are just completing a transition of going towards more of a two and four model where we're packing most of our gen surge and other rotations into the first two years and then becoming very heavily PRS focused in the third year. Are you able to have any months of plastic surgery in the first two years? Yeah, so we start plastic surgery as interns. Our interns do four months on our PRS service at UMass University campus where we operate. We class it as university, but we actually operate at a number of sites in Worcester that we can get into later. Our PGY2s spend three months on plastic surgery and nine months on other services. And then our PGY3s now do much more plastics than before. They will be going to six months on our PRS service at university, and then they do an additional three months of plastics, including OMFS at our Bay State campus. So they do a total of nine months to their third year. And then fourth year and above is all plastics all the time. And what's the experience like when you're on some of those non-plastic services or in general, like interacting with other collaborative services? So UMass is a pretty big center. We have a general surgery residency in addition to ourselves as plastic surgery. There's urology and vascular surgery all beneath the general surgery uh, division umbrella. And then we also have neurosurgery and orthopedic surgery. So our interns get a very broad exposure. They rotate on ortho, trauma, surgical oncology, surgical ICU, anesthesia, neurosurge, in addition to gen surge and emergency. And I think they get a very good experience there. It's a broad experience where they're fully integrated into the other services. They take call with them. They do quite a bit of learning there. Our PGY2s also rotate on a number of other services doing vascular, general surgery, ENT, urology, another round of SICU, pediatric surgery, trauma, transplant, peds ENT, and surgical oncology again. So it's nice in that they're visiting some of the same services again, which gives them a little bit more graduated responsibility. The teams are very familiar with them. And because it's the same general surgery residents that we're working with and the same general surgery attendings, they get to know us. I think that we have a very good relationship with our other services, and we're really lucky to have that 
because we get a lot of autonomy when we're on their rotations. We get a lot of operative experience. We're generally very well trusted and regarded, and that gets us a lot of learning opportunities. And because we work so closely with the other services in terms of joint cases and reconstructive options, we all have a very good relationship. So what are some of the different sites you work at in Worcester? So in Worcester, we have essentially four main sites that we work at. We have the UMass University Hospital, which is our main campus. That is where the majority of the team is based in the mornings and where I would say probably 75 to 90% of our inpatients are at any one time. We also have our UMass Memorial Campus, which is about five minutes down the road. That campus is primarily managed by the PGY-4s. One of us is there in the mornings for rounding and administrative tasks all the time, essentially. So I do it for two weeks, and then my co-resident Shirley does it for two weeks, and we swap back and forth. It's nice because you can get an early exposure to running your own service, managing your own list, and being the chief of your own service before you're, before you're a six. We also have our UMass Hanneman campus, which is one of our outpatient sites. We have outpatient ORs there and all our clinics are there. So when we're doing clinic, we're over there and we do quite a few cases there. And then we also have a surgery center, which is jointly utilized by UMass and some other healthcare systems where we do a lot of cases in Worcester. Are any of the experiences like a VA or like more like county type experience? There is no county hospital in Worcester. We essentially function as that. We have a, a really large catchment area, and the, the population that would ordinarily go to a county hospital ends up coming to us. We are partnered. Uh, UMass is partnered with the VA. They actually just opened a new clinic on campus. It's currently focused on primary care, and we are not currently rotating through there. So we don't get a dedicated VA experience or a dedicated county experience. But we end up seeing a lot of that same, that same patient population and fulfilling that same role just because of the way our region is set up. And where do you get most of your PEDS experience? So we do PEDS at UMass. There is a children's hospital within the hospital itself. So we do a lot of our craniofacial and pediatric surgery here. We do a lot of pediatric call here in our major center as well. We also rotate just in terms of sites outside of UMass. So we also go to Shriners Hospital in Springfield, which is about 45 minutes away. We do a lot of cleft and craniofacial work out there. And then we also, in Springfield, go to Bay State, which is another large system. Our PGY-3s will spend three months there as the only plastic surgery resident on site. So they have a general surgery service, but we go as a plastic surgery resident working with the OMFS team and the plastic surgery team there and get a really early high level experience, which we can touch on later. And then we also go to the Boston Surgery Center as a senior residents to do our cosmetic rotations. And when you're at Springfield and or Boston, is there a apartment you get to stay in or for the one that's 45 minutes away, do you commute? How does that work for transport? So generally, when we're going into Boston, we commute. There is a train which runs into Boston, which some residents use. You also, if you choose to drive, have your parking covered for, which is really nice. So that is all entirely a commuter setup. 
when you are in Springfield, there is housing available. I think the majority of us end up commuting anyway, just because the a lot of us have families and are more heavily based out of Worcester, and the drive itself isn't that bad. But there is housing available when you're there. And are there any fellows at Eddie Sites? So we do not have any plastic surgery fellows. We are just the integrated program, which I think is really beneficial for our experience in terms of being able to do high-level cases just with the attendings. There are ortho hand fellows. Currently, there are two. They're going to one. And they work with our hand surgery attendings. But I wouldn't say that it negatively affects us at all because our hand volume is so high that there's plenty to spread out. And it's really nice working with them because they bring an alternative viewpoint to some things and really broadens our experience. And how does call work? So I'll start with the general surgery call. When you're on the general surgery services, you cover call for them. So you're out of the plastics call pool. You are fully integrated into the general surgery service. And they essentially do a call team setup at Memorial where you take call and then have post-call days. And then at university, there is a night float system. So you get to experience both of those from the general surgery set. When you're on plastic surgery or some of our ancillary rotations like anesthesia and dermatology, where you're still considered to be part of the plastics call pool, you take call with our main team. So we take call as one senior and one junior each day. So there's six people to choose from in each pool. Our call works out to about six or seven calls a month, depending on your PGY year and how many people are currently on service and in the call pool. We do not have a night float team for our plastics call. You take your call and then you get post-call days. And it's home call because we cover multiple campuses at once. So we're covering the university campus and the memorial campus. And then in terms of what we're covering, we're on face and plastics call 24-7. So all facial traumas, any plastics-related issues come to us. We are on for burns 24-7 as well. So we are the burn service for both of the UMass hospitals. And then we do hand call every other week, switching off with the ortho service. So that's in addition to our face and burn call. Those are the heavier weeks. And then the lighter weeks is when ortho is on hand. And so you said that call is home call, but you do get a full post-call day? So our juniors do get a full post-call day. Because our call is relatively heavy, that's something that we have worked to change in the past few years. Oftentimes our juniors, if they have a light evening, will still come in and operate the next day if they choose to. I did that a few times when I was a junior, and I actually had the pleasure of having one of my juniors do that today because she only got one call last night. But they do have a protected post-call day. Our seniors do not do post-call days because we're generally not coming in as often. But that is also subject to evaluation based on how your night was. I was on over the Christmas holiday, had a very busy call where I was in-house from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. And I didn't have to do anything the other day. My assignments were redistributed and I was able to, to get some rest the next day. Sounds very reasonable. <laughs> it is very reasonable. We, we try to be a reasonable program. And what's the mid-level support like? So we have mid-level support in the outpatient setting. We have PAs and an NP who see 
patients in clinic will do a lot of that type of stuff for us. We currently do not have any inpatient mid-levels. We have in the past and are looking into rehiring a new one. At the moment, we we don't have any. And our mid-levels generally, they in the past have acted as first assists, but that's been many years ago. And now it's pretty much just ourselves and the attendings in the OR. Are there any opportunities for elective rotations, either that you choose within your institution or that you travel away for in the senior years? Yeah. So during our senior years, we do our cosmetic blocks, which are during the PGY five and six years. And technically that time is elective. So there, there is a cosmetic rotation already in place at the Boston Surgery Center. But if there are electives that individual residents want to do during that time, that's when they're able to do them. So we've had residents go to fellowships that they're interested in and work with that program, get a hands-on experience. And we've also had residents say they have connections with other potential job opportunities, go operate with that group for a little while. So it, it is during that time that you're able to do it. And it's three months during each of the years for six months total. What's the cosmetic exposure like in the earlier years? Is that more of like intermittent cases once in a while? So our cosmetic rotation experience prior to your dedicated cosmetic blocks is intermixed into our reconstructive cases. All of our core faculty at UMass do cosmetic cases and we work with them. We also have private surgeons that we work with and we'll cover their cosmetic cases when they're educationally appropriate and a place that we're credentialed to go to. I would say that happens fairly often. I, as a three, did cosmetic cases maybe once a week. And then now as a four, I do cosmetic cases relatively often. I would say it's maybe 20% of my case mix right now. In those rotations in the senior years or aside from them, is there like a senior resident cosmetic clinic or injectables clinic? Yeah, we do have a resident injectables clinic. All seniors are there at for every clinic. It happens once a month and we alternate doing fillers and Botox alternating months. We try to get our PGY2s and 3s in as much as possible. Uh, so they will start injecting during that time, but not as often as the seniors are injecting. And then all of our residents are encouraged to come to those clinics to observe and get an early exposure to fillers, as well as Botox and and toxins. Our senior residents, specifically our chiefs, have their own chief resident clinic, wherein they can screen their own patients, work on booking cosmetic cases, setting up cosmetic plans, supervised by an attending, but then they are able to book the case themselves and have the attending there as their supervisory support. So they do a few cases a year as that, kind of ramping up more as the year goes on. And then I believe we are looking into starting a chief-specific filler clinic, which will run in conjunction to the all-residency one, just to get them more experience before they graduate. And for the the surgical part of that clinic, does that happen also on a monthly basis or does that just happen when they have a potential patient to bring in? I think that happens more when they have a potential patient to bring in. Are there any opportunities for like global surgery experiences, either through a short trip or potentially through something longer, like a one-month elective experience? 
That has been a little bit damped down with the current pandemic situation. But traditionally, we do two trips a year to Ecuador. There are two clinics there that we have longstanding relationships with. And we do a week-long trip to each of them each year. We send a PGY3 resident and a PGY5 or 6 resident. That has not happened in recent years, but we are actively seeking to to restart it as soon as we're safely able. Are there ever experiences to do like other global health experiences outside of the Ecuador connection? Yeah, so we work with a group in Africa doing a lot of kind of idea exchange with them. We will have a generally a monthly or bi-monthly conference where we will go over cases that they have coming up that we would consider how we would manage, what sorts of things are we able to do in terms of actual physical crossover where we're going and operating with them or they're coming and operating with us. I don't think that we've had that yet, but it is a, a topic of interest. Very cool. How long has that partnership been in place? I don't know, to be specific. Before I got here is. And what is your experience like with gender affirmation surgery? We are doing a reasonable amount of gender affirmation surgery in terms of we do quite a bit of facial feminization surgery. One of our attendings, Dr. McIntyre, who's also our assistant program director, does a lot of facial feminization. She's craniofacial trained, so we'll do bony work in terms of reshaping the facial skeleton, as well as soft tissues, including the neck. We do a lot of fat grafting in those areas and soft tissue work to help patients achieve their desired goals. We do a fair amount of trans, specifically female to male surgeries, and we do those both at UMass and at Bay State. Those are increasingly common. I would say we do one probably every two weeks, and I've had the opportunity to do a number myself. To my knowledge, we have not done any female-to-male top surgery yet, but I think that our attendings would be open, and we have not branched out into bottom gender affirmation surgery yet. And how would you say your program manages resident autonomy in the OR? So I think this is one of the real strengths of our program in that we, we do get a lot of autonomy. Just starting with the way that our call is structured, our juniors get a lot of autonomy on call. They, starting as interns, are taking call. And as interns, they get a lot of support. We will come in and see every single thing that they're doing. We do repairs with them, walk them through our basic repairs. But as they're able to, if they feel comfortable, they have the opportunity to start doing things on their own. So reductions, revision amputations, complex repairs. By the end of their intern year, generally, they are doing on their own staffing remotely with their senior resident. Second years and third years, that autonomy continues and expands further as as they feel more and more comfortable. They're able to do more and more. That's not to say that they're abandoned in any way. Our interns, I go in pretty much or every single thing for their first six months, whether they want me to or not, just to supervise and give an additional hand, and then start letting go of the reins a little bit. And even as a three, I would call my seniors in multiple times to assist me with things. And also, we have a a policy where the senior needs to at least know about everything. So you always have someone to bounce your ideas off of. 
We also have a really good relationship with our attendings on call where we're able to call pretty much at all times with no pushback at all. They're very supportive of answering any questions that we have, even in the middle of the night, and uh, more than happy to come in if we require them to. In the operating room, so we, we have worked towards getting our PGY3s into the PRS ORs more and more which has started to get our third-year residents a lot more early exposure and early autonomy. So when they're in the OR, they will generally be double scrubbed with a senior resident and having the senior resident take the three through the case. Same for our ones and twos, they'll be double scrubbed as a second assist generally while the attending is taking the senior through the case. For our fourth years, you are generally first assist for all cases. You're doing your own side and starting with more bread and butter cases, paniculectomies, breast cases, reconstructive cases, things like that. And then moving into uh, more complex and specialized cases during your five and six years. Our fives and sixes get a lot of autonomy in terms of how they feel the case should be done, being able to plan reconstructions and approaches and I think that by the time they graduate, they are, they are very well prepared. We do a, a yearly micro course for all residents, ones through sixes, where we have live rat models and work on microvascular technique and anastomosis under the scope. So you are getting familiar with the instruments and the setup of the fall of your first year. In terms of actually doing micro and getting under the scope, that is graduated responsibility as you go through your years. So our ones and twos will scrub into our deep flaps at university as second assist with a senior doing the doing the micro and the elevation and the inset. Our PGY3s, when they go to Bay State, they are the only plastic surgery resident there. So they are the first assist on all flap cases from start to finish. So I had that opportunity last year and you are elevating your flap, dissecting out your pedicle, dissecting your chest vessels, prepping everything with the attending, and then doing the microsurgery in conjunction with the attending. So my experience there was that I did the vein pretty much 100% of the time, and then towards the end of my rotation there, started to do some of the, the work on the artery. So I thought that was really a huge exposure as a three, being able to do actual micro and being able to elevate those flaps. And that's not just deeps, that's ALTs, radial forearms, any flap that's happening at that hospital you're doing. And then back to university. So our fourth year residents are responsible for the abdominal closure of the deep flaps. So once the, the flap has been raised and the anastomosis is done and they're starting to inset, the fourth year resident essentially closes the abdomen autonomously which is a good experience in learning how to, to work in a crowded space in a conjunctive effort. And our threes start to do that as well more once they get towards the second half of their year. They will start to step into that role of being the abdominal closer as well. And then our chief residents at university essentially circle back to that fully integrated role where they are doing the entire elevation, dissection of the pedicle, and are there for the entirety of the flap they will do the arterial and venous anastomosis under the supervision of the attending pretty much as much as they're able to do by themselves, which oftentimes in, ends up being the entire anastomosis. 
let's talk a bit about the research experience. So both in terms of expectations and opportunities. So I think that we are in a uniquely privileged position in that our research requirement is relatively easy. The only thing that's required of us is that in our six years, we complete one quality improvement project. So that's nice if you're a person who is not interested in research, who wants to go into practice and operate, no one here is going to force you to crank out a lot of research. As long as you do something quality improvement related, and it's a substantive project, the requirement is met. That said, if you want to do more research, you have the opportunity to do as much as you want. So we have a research fellow and faculty here at all times who work on clinical and bench research. We currently have, I think, about 12 ongoing projects through a variety of areas. I know we're doing bench research on burn and wound healing. We have a number of clinical hand projects going on. We have a number of craniofacial and cleft projects going on. We're doing some work with gender affirmation and then uh, a lot with clinical improvement education as well. So we've been lucky to get a number of DOD and national grants to help fund that. And then how about for support for things like writing IRB proposals or grant proposals and stat support? And then also once you're ready to present, how about for traveling to conferences? Yeah, so we do get strong support with our IRB and statistics work. The research fellow, and oftentimes we will have a medical student who's taking a year out to do research, will assist heavily in that. Because we are so clinically busy, they recognize that we're not able to devote tons of time to that. So you do get a lot of support there. In terms of the support, once your research is complete and you have something to present, generally, if you have something to present, at either a podium or poster level, the program will do its best to assist you in making it to that meeting and helping fund. If you are not presenting, but it's at a place that you're really interested in, a meeting that you're very interested in, generally the program will work its best to get you the time to be able to go, but funding is uh, is less consistent there, which I think is consistent with most programs that I've worked at. Are there any like freebies like when you're a chief you go to like all the chiefs get to go to ASPS or anything like that yeah both of our chiefs go to ASPS every year that's a tradition and that is fully funded for them we generally will try to make it to meetings as able before that so I've seen our fives go to the breast meeting in Atlanta before as well and we get a number of courses that we have access to again been tamped down during the pandemic with the decline in in in-person courses, but generally we'll send our threes to craniofacial trauma and our residents to the flap courses as well. And are there any other extra perks you wanted to mention? So we get a food stipend when we're at the main UMass campus. The amount that we get is based on the amount of call that you're taking that year set by the GME office. It works out to roughly six to $700 a year which we're trying to have increased, but that lasted me the entire year, no problems last year. In terms of fundings for other academic materials, each of us gets uh, $700 a year, which can be combined for two years at a time. So generally, when we have our interns come in, they will combine their first and second years and buy their loops that way or they'll pay for their step three that way and use their second and third year money for loops. 
So generally, all of us get things funded through that. That also expands to textbooks, electronics, things like that, anything that can be used for education. We have custom jackets, both Patagonia and now this year Arcturix, which everyone has been really jealous of, and scrub caps, but we have not done, we haven't done scrubs in the past. And then I think that's the majority of our financial perks, but we get a really good experience in terms of being included in courses and being able to make it out to special labs. Part of the benefit of being in central New England is that we have a lot of other fantastic institutions nearby us, and we're able to partner with them for doing different courses. So we have recently done a craniofacial trauma course with the Yale OMFS and ENT residents doing cadaver dissections, soft tissue approaches, facial trauma and plating. We have done a number of cadaver labs recently, both upper extremity, lower extremity, base and trunk. So I think that we do have some really sweet perks here. How often are you doing those like cadaver labs, for example? So we've started ramping them up more in the recent past. They, they were on a little bit of a pause with COVID, but now we're, we're getting more heavily into them. So last month, for example, we had cadaver lab twice and we have three coming up. So it, it tends to be a little bit more into the winter months once our, our juniors are more settled into their roles, but we, I would say we have good experience there. And what area of plastic surgery would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in upon graduation? So I think just as a function of our case mixture and our patient population, we come out really strong in hand. We do 50-50 hand call with ortho and end up covering a lot of hand cases. And that's something that I personally was extremely interested in being interested in going into hand. We do really well with reconstruction, both free flat based and uh, local tissue rearrangement based. We get a really strong craniofacial experience with our craniofacial surgeons, both here and at Shriners and Bay State. And we have a strong exposure to uh, wound as well. Here we do the entirety of wound care from debridement to reconstruction. So own that entire arena and become very facile with it. Are you your burn center? Yeah, so we cover uh, burns 24-7. We will keep major burns, and uh, we are a burn center here. But how would you say, like, graduating seniors' case logs compared to the case requirements for graduation? I think that all of our residents meet their case log pretty easily. Just off the top of my head from our last resident meeting, our sixes are essentially both already beyond their minimums. There's a couple cases they need to snag to fill things out, but they'll be done within the next month or two for no problem. Our fives are actually almost done as well, just because they had, didn't have that dip in operative volume with COVID that the sixes experience. And we get pretty heavy exposure as fours. I've doubled my case log experience just this year alone. It's a lot of early experience. No one has trouble meeting their minimums by the time they finish. 
and just throwing out a number, I think that we're comfortably in the 1,500 to 2,000 case log experiences when we graduate. And how would you improve your program? If I could improve my program, it would be nice to have an even earlier exposure to aesthetics. We've worked hard on that with getting the filler clinics and the Botox clinic and getting our residents scrubbed into to cases as possible. I think every program in the country is working on getting more aesthetic exposure for their residents. I think that additional microsurgery experiences would be helpful just because although we come out well-trained in microsurgery, I think that it would be nice to have additional exposure, which we're also now getting through our ENT uh, surgeons. We're doing a lot of ALTs and radial forearm reconstructions with them. And then honestly, I would love for us to get an additional resident. We have been applying for funding and making the case to expand our residency for, for a couple of years here now just because our volume is so high that the educational opportunity is there to have another full-time resident. Now, shifting gears, I'd love to hear about your program leadership, so your chief and your PD, and if you want any other notable faculty. So our program leadership is all based out of our, out of our main UMass campus. Dr. Douglas Rothkoff is our chair, and Dr. Janice Lelikos is our program director. Dr. Rothkoff is hand-trained and does uh, a lot of our hand surgery with us. Dr. Lelikos is craniofacial trained, does a lot of our craniofacial trauma and cleft work with us. Our assistant program director is Dr. Joyce McIntyre, who's also craniofacial trained. And then we have uh, a number of other core faculty at university, including our former chair. He does a lot of reconstruction and general plastics. Dr. Keurig is one of our microsurgeons that we do the majority of our deep flaps and reflap-based breast reconstruction with. Dr. Castle is one of our core faculty, and we do a lot of our breast and reconstructive work with him. And then Dr. Wong is uh, another hand faculty. So in total, we have nine faculty at UMass, in addition to six attendings at Bay State that we work with and too many cosmetic attendings to count at the, at the Boston Center. Could you expand a little bit about their kind of leadership style and a specific time where the residents brought up an issue to leadership and how they responded to it? We're blessed to have a very, you know, small program feel when it comes to our leadership. Our attendings are very approachable. You can talk to all of them at any time, Dr. Rothkoff or Dr. Likos with any issues you have or just anything you would like to. So Dr. Likos, you know, refers to herself as our second mom. So we have a lot of opportunities to, if we have grievances, air them out with her, as well as our assistant program director and our chief. I don't think that these come up very often, but they do come up from time to time. And they are very receptive to our concerns and work to get them fixed as soon as possible. So I think things that have come up that I could think of we were having issues on like our cardiac surgery rotation where there essentially was not much for the resident to do because they have full-time PAs and we were essentially second assisting instead of getting more hands-on experience. And we decided to just remove that rotation entirely and put it into more academically robust endeavors. In terms of academic support, we've run into issues where 
our service has been called upon to go outside of our scope of practice for, say, like COVID staffing. We ran into issues where we were being asked to admit patients that were beyond our level of medical complexity, and the attendings will back you up 100% on that. I've never had an issue with that. Or in terms of defining division of responsibilities between different services, they back us 100%. So I think that they have always been really responsive and really have our, our best interests in heart and take our feedback very seriously. And what kind of a role do residents play with department decision-making for things like choosing new residents or new faculty? We have a very involved role, actually. So in terms of choosing new residents, all of our residents are involved in the interview process. We all provide feedback during the interview process and help in the selection of people that we think would be a good fit and particularly that would enjoy being at our program and we would enjoy having at our program. The chief residents are the most involved in that process, but all of us participate. And same kind of goes with new faculty as well. We have not had new faculty hiring in the recent past, so I can't speak to it specifically, but I know that it is a similar setup. In terms of involvement with just general departmental and administrative roles within the program, I think that we actually have a very responsive faculty with that. All of our rotations are reviewed at the end of every year. If there's things that we think are subpar or things that we think have been fantastic and we need more of, they take that uh, seriously. And those are constantly changing. So like our base state experience used to just be one month as a three. And because it's so beneficial and the operative load is so good there, we've increased that to three months. They listen to us and they take what we say seriously. And then the chiefs do quite a bit of work in terms of overall trajectory of the program and administrative decisions. And do you foresee any changes in faculty in the next few years? I believe that we are looking to expand. We have talked about adding additional microsurgery faculty and additional strength in gender affirmation, but I don't know what the current, the current status is. And how would you say your program promotes diversity and inclusion and slash or helps you become a culturally competent resident? It's actually something that our program has valued traditionally and is continuing to work on. Our surgery department has a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee, which is actively focused on promoting ideas of diversity, equity within the department of surgery as a whole. So our assistant program director, Dr. McIntyre, sits on that committee as well as multiple residents. So we're pretty heavily involved in there. And then in terms of outside of that within the program itself, I think that there is an active commitment to the recruitment of diverse residents and faculty. It's something that we are working on, and I think that there's a genuine push to, to keep that going. And then in terms of helping you develop into a culturally competent resident, I think that our, our faculty really try and make sure that we have an understanding of the fact that we care for a diverse patient population and that we need to be sensitive to that. Our residents and faculty come from a number of different backgrounds, and I think that helps a lot. Now, I'd love to hear just more about the culture amongst the residents. So what you like to do together, personalities, hanging out, that kind of stuff. 
So I would describe us as a very laid back blue collar program. We have the benefit of being very tight knit, just being 12 of us and covering the volume of responsibilities that we do. Everyone learns that this is really a very family oriented environment. You have a strong support from your other junior residents when you're in junior and your senior residents, as well as all of your faculty. So everyone is here to help you succeed as much as possible. And I think that there is this idea that when it comes to, to getting things done, like there's a certain amount of work in the day that has to be done every day. And that amount's not going to change whether or not you have more bodies or less bodies to do it. So everyone recognizes that and does their best to chip in and make that as equitable a, a division of labor as possible. Outside of that, we have the, the luxury of the fact that we all generally really like each other. We hang out a lot outside of residency. We COVID outings have been harder, but we we hang out at each other's houses a lot. We all live within a 20-minute radius, so everyone is very close by. Worcester is fantastically situated between anything you could ever want to do in New England. So we've done, like, winter trips up to Vermont for seeing the leaf change. We've done ski trips and things up there. We go out to Boston. We go down to Providence. It's really nice having everybody around. And everyone here is pretty laid back. We're in central Massachusetts. We're not a super fast-paced urban environment, but it's also one of the largest cities in New England, so it's not completely rural either. And we get along really well, and we, we try and <laughs> enjoy each other's company. And does the program have any experience with international medical grads or otherwise like non-traditional residents? We do have experience with international me uh, medical graduates. One of our current residents did their medical school in Mexico and then did a number of research experiences in the United States before matching into our residency as, a, as an intern. So we do have a track record with that. And we also have a track record with kind of more non-traditional residents, the most recent being myself, who transferred in after doing three years of a general surgery residency. So it's something that we were able to accommodate and that we actually value because people bring different uh, perspectives to the table. So now a bit kind of rapid fire about resident lifestyle. So do most tend to own or rent in Worcester? I would say we're about a 50-50 mix. Right now, about half of our residents own and half of us rent. And that's generally just based on personal preference, family makeup, and things like that. Is that houses, condos, apartments? The people that own own a mixture of condos and houses. And the people that rent are a mixture of houses and apartments. I currently rent. I will probably continue to rent. I'm not from the New England region and plan on probably going back to the, the West Coast Southwest after residency. So it makes more sense for me to rent personally, but we have a number of residents who have bought property in the area. We have one resident who he and his wife are very adventurous and bought their house and have torn it down to the studs and are currently in the middle of a, a ground up renovation that they're doing themselves. You have the full gamut from fully 
like one-year-old brand new apartments to 120-year-old houses. So for those of us who don't know the layout of Worcester, like where do residents live You're in the relationship to the main hospital? So Worcester is the largest city in the area, and then there are a number of smaller suburbs scattered around it. A few of us live in Worcester proper, but I would say the majority of us live in the suburbs around Worcester. So I personally live in Shrewsbury, which is literally across the river from Worcester. A number of other residents live here. And then we have residents who live in other towns like Holden and and Southborough in the area. So everyone's within 20 minutes or so of the main hospital. And is it necessary to have a car? It is necessary to have a car here because we're going between so many campuses. And so when you are on call, you theoretically could have to go to different places in a night, but is it usually more so focused at one of them? Uh, so our call is at uh, Memorial and at University. The two hospitals are about five minutes down the road from each other. So it's not a, a far commute, but you will be going back and forth between the two. And what's the breakdown of residents being single, married, and having kids? I would say that we are probably 50-50 in terms of being married right now. All but one of us are in long-term relationships. and. We have recently had a, a crop of plastics babies. Both of our chiefs have little girls that are one year and six months old. And our third year resident, Tom Cervantes, actually just had his son about a month ago. So we have a number of babies within the residence. And a couple of our faculty actually just had babies as well. So we have a strong family-focused environment here. And how would you say the residency like supports those that are having kids in terms of maternity paternity benefits? Not being able to speak to that personally, but from seeing my fellow residents go through it, I think that they're really good about it. We can take up to the full 12 weeks that the ABPS allows for maternity or paternity leave. Both of the chiefs and Tom have done the paternity side of that leave and they were able to get time to be with their family leading up to the birth and in the postpartum period without any issues at all. We restructure responsibilities to make that work. And our two graduating chiefs that are currently in fellowship both had children during residency and took advantage of maternity leave and did not have any issues with that. What else do you like about living in Worcester? Worcester was a definite like cultural change for me. I grew up on the West Coast. I grew up in big cities like the Bay Area, Los Angeles. I did general surgery in Phoenix. So I was used to like these huge Southwestern and Western areas. And then I came to Worcester, which is a large city, but not extremely large and also a very different climate than what I was used to. But I really like it here. In terms of location, you're within two hours of anything that you could really want to do in New England. Boston is a quick 40-minute drive. Providence is 40 minutes to an hour. You have Maine right above us. You have New Hampshire, everything right around you. And that gives you great access to a really diverse set of opportunities. So if you like outdoor activities, we have fantastic hiking. There's the White Mountains right here. There's great skiing. Acadia National Park is within driving distance, so 
you can do all of that. And you also have Boston being a major city, 48-minute drive away. New York being a, a three-hour drive or a 40-minute plane ride and access to all of those. I also love the fact that Worcester has its own airport. It's very small, but it has direct flights to New York every day for 50 bucks. And that's 40 minutes, so really easy to get to places. But then also, in addition to having access to all of these places, you're not in those places. So I have access to Boston, but I'm not paying Boston rent. If I wanted to buy a house, I could very comfortably. In terms of other things that I care about, so I'm a big foodie, and I was really pleasantly surprised to find out that Worcester actually has a fantastic food scene. There's a lot of great restaurants here. There's a lot of great breweries, great family-friendly microbrew scene, things like that. And there's also great, actually, sports investment lately in the area. The Red Sox minor league team recently moved from Pawtucket to Worcester. So they just built a brand new stadium downtown, which has really changed the makeup of the downtown area. They have given us free tickets to come see games and things there, which is really nice. And it's kind of changing the cultural fabric of the area. That's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about today. Any final thoughts either about your program or on the process of choosing a residency program in general? In terms of choosing a residency program in general, now having had the privilege of being in two residencies, I I would say that generally anywhere that you go, I feel that you're going to end up well-trained. There are very few places that you would leave saying that I am not a good surgeon or I did not have the opportunities to become a good surgeon. I think that the standards here are just too high and the quality of applicants is, is too good for that to really happen. The question then becomes, where do I want to be for six years? Who are the people that I get along with? And I would encourage applicants to really ask those questions on the interview trail because when you're looking at programs like We're not just interviewing you, you're interviewing us. This is somewhere that you're going to spend the next six years of your life. These are people that you're going to see more than your own family members and you're going to work intimately with for long stretches of time. So make sure you like those people. Make sure you like the place that you're going to. You don't want to go to a program that looks fantastic on paper but is in an area of the country that you don't want to live in and could not see yourself living in. If you're on your interview and you're at your mixer and everything and you just don't feel yourself vibing with the residents, that's not a place you want to be because those are the people that are going to make up the majority of your social interactions for a really long time. Vet us as much as we vet you because we want, I think everyone wants their residents to be happy. And that really boils down to how well do you fit with the place in the program. And also remember that residency is a stepping stone to what you want to go into. We all at this point, obviously, or hopefully want to be plastic surgeons, but look at what is your program strong at? Are they going to prepare you to go into the type of practice environment that you want to go into? Do you want heavy clinical experience so that you can go straight out into practice? Do you want really strong research experience so you can go into academics and clinical research? These are questions that you have to ask yourself and look critically at those programs. And I think that there is a fit for everyone. You just have to find it. In terms of this residency, I think that I I personally feel very lucky to be here. It is a great fit for me. We are a hardworking, high-volume 
program that does a lot of hand, a lot of trauma, a lot of reconstruction, which is all the things I'm really interested in. And I would say that if you're someone who is interested in that type of environment where you're going to come out a very well-trained plastic surgeon who could go straight into practice or who could go into a fellowship, our last few chiefs have all gone into highly competitive craniofacial, microsurgery, hand surgery, fellowships and are rising two fives are both going into cosmetics. I like that this is a place where you can do those things, but if you wanted to go straight out in practice, like you very much could. I will say that this is not a program that's for you. If you don't want to be involved in that heavy of a learning experience, because we do a lot here, we work really hard and it is hard, but I think it makes us better surgeons in the end. So that's something that you need to be prepared for. But if that is the kind of environment that you're looking for and the kind of environment that you, you feel you would thrive in, like there really is no better place to be and there's nowhere that I would rather be. How could interested applicants find out even more about your program? So we have our, our standard university website, which has been recently revamped with all new photos and curriculums and things. That will give you the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty of the program. But if you really want to get a sense of what the program is like from a more boots on the ground type of feel and what we're like as people, our Instagram is probably the best way. It's UMass Plastic Surgery. It is jointly run by a number of our residents, and I think it gives a really good flavor who we are. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me. I hope we were able to shed a little light on this gem in the Northeast. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.